Welcome again to another episode of The Secret Origins of Mink Condition and another installment of Joe's Comics Corner. His head keeps getting bigger every time he says that. <laughs> this time we are, trans we are traversing a new avenue in search of a special corner that bears a street sign proclaiming, Welcome to a new, new Era, a new age for Superman the Man of Steel, a fresh controversial beginning for the world's first superhero as conceived by the legendary John Byrne. Hi, I'm your host, Joe. And joining me once again on our favorite funny book corner is my frequent co-host, friend of the show, the Sultan of Speed himself, Keith Tarnowski. How you doing, Keith? <laughs> Thank you, Joe. I love that. <laughs> Sultan of <laughs> Speed, I love it. <laughs> yes. Hi, everyone. If fans, fans have listened to us, our previous podcast, they'll know why I call Keith that. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, we're going we're to tackle uh, Man of Steel, John Burns' Man of Steel. And um, as I said, you know, quite groundbreaking, right on the heels of... Um, of uh, Christ and Infinite Earths, and uh, you know, and as we said off here, Keith, you were you were a kid when this came out, right? Yeah, um, I was ten years old when when, this, when number one came out. Okay, so here I got a couple of questions for you, and I have been reading Superman since nineteen sixty six. So I was I was twenty years into my Superman run when this came out. So you know, my first question to you, being a young reader, um, so you already answered what super, uh, this was your first book. You you obviously came to this book. You must have had some conception of who Superman was in the zeitgeist of you know American culture. We all we all do, right? How did this book differ from what you had maybe read previously? Some Bronze Age stuff, or had gotten hold of maybe a Silver Age book, or from the um, uh, the Donner movies hmm. or the Adventures of Superman TV show? Well, did you did you notice a difference? Yeah, well, I mean, um, I knew. Uh, of course, I've seen the Donner movies. I love those. Those were some of my favorite movies uh, as a kid. In fact, it was my favorite movie until, um, I think, uh, the Michael Keaton Batman movie. Wow. So I was a little older then, so I was edgier and it was cool, you know. Um, sure. <clears throat> so I was familiar with Superman from that. That was really the, the majority of Superman to me. I had been reading comics for a bit before I picked up Man of Steel. because, uh, As I said before, my first comic was Crisis Number 8. I became mm -hmm. obsessed with Flash. <laughs> Wally series, Barry's back issue. So comic-wise, comic Superman, the one I knew who was the character who popped in Barry's series occasionally for the, you know, the, the, the race. I also had this right. Superman issue that was a race. I also, uh, when Iris was killed in the pages of Flash and Superman was briefly in that with the rest of the Justice League. So that was really, I didn't have much to go on at all of Superman. I had no idea really about how his, uh, uh, you know, his uh, family on Krypton was portrayed in flashbacks or other than, you know, the movies. I had nothing, no, no kind of, um, no kind of uh, viewpoint uh, for that. Even Lois and them, I didn't, I never saw a comic book Lois. Um, wow. You know, so maybe briefly in crisis, you know. <clears throat> so uh, this was it for me, which is, uh, you know, it's interesting because when I, um, yeah, you know, I read it then in eighty, you know, six, eighty seven, whenever I actually picked it up. Um, mm -hmm. and then I read it again around two thousand two. And I haven't read it since then until recently. And it's just interesting, you know, where you are in your life and your experiences with other comic books. Sure. Um, uh, your perspective changes while also still appreciating it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, very much so. Um to me, as I said what we said off as I said off here, I have been reading Superman for twenty years at this point. And I was looking forward to this. Um, uh, just a side note to our fans listening. Uh, we have dropping soon an episode called Whatever Happened to the Man of Steel, 
the two-part story that was the kind of the coder on the Silver Age, Bronze Age Superman written by Alan Moore. Uh, James and I did that episode. And uh, this is kind of like a sequel to that. But I was looking forward to those books and I was looking forward to this because Superman was kind of wearing thin at DC at the time. The sales were down tremendously. Over in Action Comics at the time, they were telling, they were trying to get younger readers in. So the stories were really watered down. Uh, a lot of good stuff that happened in the late 60s and early and mid 70s, even the early 80s was was gone. Uh, Marl Wolfman was gone at that point. He wrote some great Superman stories. Um, Bates was hanging on, but you could see he really didn't. You know, I just don't, he probably knew the change was coming and maybe he was phoning stuff, some stuff in. I don't know. Bates talked ill about Carrie Bates. He's such a great writer. A change was needed. And I embrace this change. But like you just said, uh, when you read something years later, you, you see something a little bit different. Your, your, your life experiences change. So there are some things here that um, I forgot that kind of shocked me. And some things that I also forgot that I said, oh, boy, I wish this was around today in the Superman comics. So um, I agree. I agree. Right. So I, I have a couple of quick flash facts. I want to I want to get out of the way first before we talk about this. I mean, I think the biggest thing about this, two biggest things about this, is that Clark was now the real person. Superman was the disguise, right? He was literally born on Earth uh, in Smallville when the uh, Kents found the rocket. And then the Kents, for the first time in Superman's long history, they don't die when he's a teenager, a uh, super boy. And uh, they, they make it into, uh, they, into old age and they see him become Superman and they're still around. And there is no Superboy. So that's, you know, those are some, and there's some, there's some other big changes. That, um, um, how'd you feel about that? I, the lack of a, a Superboy in continuity? Well, I knew, I kind of knew this was coming, as I said, even though this is before the dawn of the, the internet and uh, we had conventions. And I had a friend who was working with me at Barnes & Noble. His name was Keith Williams, longtime comic book artist. Uh, for many years was the, uh, worked on the Phantom comic strip. Um, Keith at the time was interning at DC and working at Barnes and Noble. He was giving me little hints of what's coming, what, what, what was going to be coming with this new um, uh, Superman series because eventually Keith started doing the background inks on action comics for John Byrne. And if you go back and look at some of those books, he, he gets credited too. Mm. You know, John Byrne with Keith Williams. Wow. So um, really cool. And he, he told me the biggest thing, he said, you know, Joe, I know you like Superboy. He's, he's, he's gone. What do you mean he's gone? No, there's no more Superboy. This is like the Golden Age Superman. This is a back to basics. And I had to wrap my head around that. But you know what? I thought it was a great move because now he's the sole survivor of the planet Krypton. Yeah, Supergirl's yeah. out of the picture, yeah. And seven million Kandorians are out of the picture too. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> right think about that. And, and Crypto uh, and um, the Phantom Zone criminals are out, of, are out of the picture too. Zod and Jaxer and, and, and all of them. So um, uh, this was this was a, a, a big departure from the mythos that I had grew up with, I had grown up with, and from what I I, um, I knew on the TV show with George Reeves and the Diner movies. But um, I, I did embrace it, so I, I liked it, and um, I think um, we can we can get we can do this by issue by issue, right? We're gonna try. We're gonna yeah, get to right. Yes, yeah, so if our listeners stay with us, we're going to walk you right through it. Obviously, there are spoilers ahead. I just gave three of them right off the bat. <laughs> and there's going to be more. So, uh, Keith, you want, to, you want to start us off with issue number one? Yeah. First, I'd just like to say, I, you know, a lot of this, again, I read it twice before, you know, 30 years when it first came out, and then again, 20 years ago, and just now. You know, it's, 
I didn't have, like I said, I didn't know a lot about Superman comic history uh, when I first read it. So, I mean, it was all, this was it for me. This was Superman, you know. And as the years have gone on, the 90s, early 2000s, I've I become more familiar with some, some Silver Age concepts and some limited amount of stories of Superman. But I, I had seen how some things started to bleed back in, uh, you know, the, you know, maybe Zero Hour retcon one thing back in an infinite crisis another you know like the the legion came back superboy came back little things uh the um i think after infinite crisis the imagery of what um krypton looked like kind of see back looking a little more silver agey so mm. you know, i that's definitely happened over the years um because so going back and reading this again the other day really like a, a little jarring but i i love it i i this is you know it's hard to say. This is still tied with me for with Jeff John's Secret Origin, which I think is a great story as well. We can get that through that another time. But mm-hmm. I, I love this. First of all, John Byrne's art. He, he definitely is one of, in my opinion, one of the best Superman artists. Um, I doubt. With Perez, I, I, you know, Swan, um, you know, uh, so many others. But Jerkins and Ordway, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, oh, Ordway. Oh my Lord. Um, and while I didn't you know, like the story as much, I, I still think Ivan Rice is great and could have been known as one of the best Superman artists if he had a better run to go with. Oh, you mean the Ivan Rice run with Bendis? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, unfortunately, the, yeah, the, the great art was w- wasted on uh, poor storytelling. Kind of was, but, but this is great. I mean, John Byrne's art in this is beautiful. And I, you know, things I had forgotten, Joe, I really, you know, enjoyed. I don't know if I'd want this in the current continuity, but I, how sterile Krypton was, not just mm-hmm. in so many ways, how, how they didn't even conceive babies in the traditional way. And they didn't even, you know, uh, the mothers didn't even, you know, uh, uh, hold them until they were born. Um, all these different things and how the relationship between Jor-El and Alara, uh, how, you know, cold in the sense of that's just the culture of Krypton, but they still had this love for each other um, that was a little warmer, I guess, that you would uh, guess than other Kryptonians had. I found that really interesting and compelling. You know, it's that's the Superman, that's the Krypton I grew up with, <laughs> and now yeah. it's not really a thing anymore. But so I kind of had forgotten uh, what that was like. It, it's it, it was great though. This seeing, this seeing where they they came from in this particular continuity. Definitely, and you know, you mentioned the sterile look of Krypton. Uh, that was taken. Now, you know, I've read this somewhere. I can't corroborate it. I was looking for it today to see if I could find the corroboration for this. It's a tough word for me to say. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, uh, I think Byrne did lift some things from the Donner film, Superman the movie, and and obviously Krypton is very sterile. Oh, God. You know, it's it's an ice crystal planet uh, devoid of all color. I mean, the only color in that movie is is Kal-El's blankets, right? When you think about that, right? Otherwise, Yeah. Everything is just basically black and white. And and when he brings Kal-El to the rocket, you see the, the bright red, blue, and yellow blankets. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that was kind of jarring when I saw that back in the day. And then it was jarring, more jarring, uh, because he now he's changing things with the quote-unquote green death, right? That is yes. killing Kryptonians because the, the, the core is about to explode, but it's leaking poison. So this was, I mean, he's just like, it's amazing that he got the opportunity to do this. And, and I also found some research that other people were asked to do this reboot. Really? Yes. Marv Wolfman, Steve Gerber, which would have been really strange. I think hmm. got Howard the duck and man thing <laughs> and Frank Miller. 
And they, oh. they apparently that yeah exactly. Apparently that pitches were turned down. Carrie Bates wanted to do it. He want he he knew that they the it, the book and the character needed a shot in the arm, but he did not want to jettison the the silver and bronze age continuity. And DC and Dick Giordano wanted that, so Giordano turned to fresh off of a great five year run of Fantastic Four. He turned to John Byrne and Byrne delivered. That's really so, interesting. Yeah. I would have yeah, loved to see Carrie Bates too, like in an alternate universe. Oh, yeah. I can read his run. That would be that'd be great. That would be interesting, right? Um, I mean, the Green what, Death what too. Else, oh. What else is there about issue one that we should we should talk well, about? The Green Death. I forgot all about that. Like how yeah, right? and how they had a, they had to keep Kal El and that little that little uh, incubator uh, matrix yeah. thing because uh, of that as well. I forgot all about that. I didn't remember that. That was I did too. An interesting little angle. One thing I, I, I noticed, and I could be wrong. Um, I felt like maybe um, some of the time on Smallville in this might have been um, kind of later used as a somewhat inspiration for the show Smallville. Oh, yeah. Right? It just felt, I don't, again, I hadn't read a lot of the Silver Rite stuff, but from what I've seen, he, Clark was never really, not that he was a jock in the show, but he was a little bit more, um, a little closer to that and a little more popular and, uh, a lot more focus on his life in Smallville than I feel like we saw before with respects to high school and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I found, I don't know, it, it reminded me a little bit of, of what I later watched on Smallville, which I thought was, you know, was really cool. Um, uh, and it's I, I also just, I love seeing the relationship with uh, him and his parents, especially his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's something we don't see enough. And I hope that we get they touch upon that in the new movie coming out with James Gunn. Oh, definitely, yes. I feel like they will if you kind of go by the feel of the Guardians movies. I feel like family will be important. Yeah, I love that. I love I love the designs of uh, Krypton and his ship. I lo- that's probably my favorite version of of Clark's uh, ship <laughs> coming to Earth. Uh, yeah, the, the, he 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 uh, modified the uh, uh, the birthing chamber, the Matrix, whatever it was called, into a, into a spaceship. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. We, we don't get to see him, um, uh, you know, um, in front of the Kryptonian council and, and where they uh, deride him and call him a, a lunatic for his theories about the planet blowing up. Right. Uh, Berner shoot all that and, and, uh, and went right into it. You know, he, everything here is, is here for a reason. There's no fluff. And it, 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 the pacing is fantastic. We just, you know, we see Krypton explode at, at the end of, I guess, act one of the first issue. And then boom, clock is running, uh, for a touchdown on the football field, eighteen years later, <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah, that jump just, right into that, it. Right, it's kind of reminiscent of the Donner film, uh, the first movie, Superman the movie, right? So yeah, I kind of how you often say, like, there's no wasted space, you know? Yeah, no, it's all, it's everything here is here for a reason, unlike you know modern comic books, which just you know, meander along sometimes. But um, yeah, I mean, we get um, you know, to me, and like Jarrell. In, in Marlon Brando as Jarrell in um, Superman the movie, he's like the lo- he's a loner because nobody nobody believes him that that Krypton's about to explode. But he's also a man with a heart and compassion uh, to save his son and to give his son a you know a, a legacy. And we see that here with Jarrell. Jarrell seems to be the only man on this entire planet that even knows what having a heart means. Right. And Larry seems to be very cold, also. Right. Yeah. So uh, that was an interesting uh, take on the character, and um, I saw Jarrell. I saw Jarrell's like almost like a Shakespearean character in, in this. I, I don't know if that was uh, 
planned or not, but he has that, you know, that kind of like, you know, everybody's against him. And yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's out, he's alone in the wilderness crying, crying for, you know, uh, for uh, things, for, for better things, even though he's facing doom, the whole planet's about to. to and he gets away. to, you know, do his one, one act is to save his son and get save him off that son. planet. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I like the scene where he shows uh, Lara Earth, and she goes, "Oh, they're horrible looking. They're yeah. their, they're their flesh and, and their hairy and they chest touch, is exposed. Yeah, and they touch they touch untreated soil. Yep, yep. <laughs> what the hell are they doing on Krypton? I guess they had robot farmers like everything else, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. So, right, right. Yeah, but obviously a great first start, and and you know, as um, I'm looking, I have my copy of Man of Steel: The Hardcover Volume One. As I'm looking at it right now through the first uh, issue, you know, we see um, the, the, how, uh, it's interesting how they explain how the Kents, that was really, they, they told Smallville that's just their real son because they were buried for five months in the snowstorm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a little odd when I first read that, you know, okay, nobody would have came to the phone to check up on them. You know, how, you know let's go check up on Jonathan and Martha. Right, right. But, but interesting, you know, um, the whole idea of, um, Ma saved with the notebook, the, the, the scrapbook. Oh, I love that. It, I, I love it, that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that doesn't that come it, to bite them later on? Not oh, yes, it does. Later yeah. in the Superman run? Yeah, he's got to turn to Batman for help with that. That's right. And here's an interesting note about the experimental space plane that Clark saves in, at the end of uh, issue one. Because it was so close to what happened to Challenger, it was supposed to, he was supposed to have saved a, uh, a space shuttle. Oh. But they, they 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 changed that. They didn't want you know. They thought that that wound was still open. People were still grieving over that. They didn't want to put that in the comic book. I know the same so, year, right, or the year? Yeah, after? it was the same year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that was challenge was January '86, and this was uh, the summer of '86. Oh yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so they changed it, kind of like what they did with. Remember that first trailer for Spider Man, the very first Spider Man. First movie? trailer for Spider Man with the twin towers and the web in between. Yeah. And also, there was a Superman issue. With a cover by Mike Ringo uh, that took place in an Our Worlds at War crossover um, about the same month as 9-11. And um, it was depicting two towers uh, wow. with, uh, you know, uh, that were in flames because of uh, the war. And that was that they re they tried to recall it and uh, issues were already out there, but they, they stopped some from be from getting out there. But uh, you know, sometimes things like, you know. Art imitates life sometimes without, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, kind of like uh, uh, Barry Allen in Flash um, uh, 123, Flash of Two Worlds. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, wow. Well, Gardner Fox always said he, these, these stories came to him in a dream. Well, now I know that's not true. A, it is true because there's a, there's a parallel earth. <laughs> that was great. I loved it. Yeah, right. So, um, I guess is are there anything else we need to say about issue number one? Well, um, I mean, I that? personally, I, I, um, I really love how um uh clark's mom makes his suit yeah you know i'm a i'm a sucker for i like the, the like i said before i love the kents being alive i like them being around i like clark being able to fly back to smallville quick have a piece of apple pie and talk with his parents it's it might mm -hmm. sound cheesy but you know what there's not enough of that everything's dark and grim out there in, in pop culture and superhero things and uh, movies and adaptions and everywhere else. I like that he can do that. I like that he has a close relationship with his family. And so I also like that his mom basically in this continuity made his costume. Um, I think it's great. <laughs> so that's, and I, I think that place. is now regardless of whatever iteration of the origin we've seen, 
that seems to be the case moving forward. That mom always made the makes the costume, right? Um, I, I, I know it was that way in Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. I was uh, like that in C, uh, Jeff John's secret origin, which was right. hilarious how he did it in that. Cause he was, he's Superboy in that. Yeah. Wasn't like that in Smallville though. No. Uh, no. And obviously it wasn't like that in Man of Steel. And, and Oh, and this is the first time we realized that the costume's not invulnerable because in the original continuity, the silver age and bronze age storytelling, the, the, the uh, costume was made of the blankets he was wrapped in, and therefore, since they come from Krypton, like everything else, they're invulnerable, which they had uh, they later had to, had to explain. Well, how do you weave invulnerable blankets? Right. <laughs> yeah, I have that story, by the way. It's a Superboy story from like the early '60s. They actually tell that story. That's great. But <laughs> but yeah, and um, and then we find out that Superman has this aura that extends a millimeter from his body or so that protects anything close, which is why his cape always gets ripped up. Yes, not, yes. But not his, yep. uh, really, his costume, and thank God, not his briefs. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Yeah, so they, they I mean, he, he thought this all out, man. This is, uh, he, every little thing was there. If I'm going to change it, he must have said to himself, I need to have a real uh, expl- explanation why I'm changing it and then have a, a really good uh, substitute for the change. And he, and he did. Byrne did. So I, I think that's number issue number one, right? Yep, that's it. Basically, right? So issue number two, Lois Lane. Uh, I wrote here, Lois Lane is hot. Well, we don't know that. On the trail of Superman, who she named, uh, another reference to Superman in the movie, for an excellent, inter- uh, an exclusive interview, but she just isn't quick enough to catch up to him. So she puts herself in danger to uh, lure him out, and it works, and uh, she gets her exclusive interview. Very much I forgot that part happened, by the way, um, when I was rereading this. And that absolutely reminded me of Superman 2 when uh, Lois is positive. She knows that um, Clark is Superman and he won't admit it. So she jumps into the uh, the, the river. The Niagara uh, River, yeah. Uh, the Niagara River to, and to get rescued. <laughs> and it a thousand percent reminded me of that. It was great. And in this one, Clark also knew that um, she was pulling a fast one because of his uh, x-ray vision he saw the aqua lung in the car on the issue of the car yeah yep. in, in a donner uh, version of superman 2 she jumps out the 28th floor of the daily planet building yes <laughs> so yeah so it, you know that when i read this back in 1986 when i read it again yesterday that's margot kidder that's margot kidder's lowest lane oh yeah i mean to, yeah, he had to be drawing from, from that um you know she's she is the best re- investigative reporter in metropolis uh, but she's also, you know, she'll do anything to get a story, obviously, including putting herself in danger. Right. So uh, that was just so classic. It's laugh out loud funny when, when, when she does that. And um, and when he flies her home, um, I, I, did I write that down? Did I write that quote? I hope I wrote that quote down. Oh, yeah. Um, he flies home and she goes, you know where I live? And he goes, of course, Miss Lane, I know where everyone lives. Yeah. <laughs> I laughed out loud, right out loud when I, I forgot that line. That is so... That you could hear Christopher Reeve saying that line at that point. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, right. He he humanizes Superman. This is the first. I'm not saying Superman wasn't human before, but you know he embraced. He was more of the Kryptonian. Superman was the guy. Clark was the disguise. Byrne reverses it, so we get a little bit more of Superman's humanity in John Byrne Superman. And I, I to me, that was a welcome addition and a welcome relief. You know, he, you know, he definitely changed a lot again, um, from what the silver age was, he changed a lot. Um, not just 
taking out some of the history and starting from scratch with some things and aesthetically changed things and how characters spoke and even a certain level of violence. I feel like that wasn't, uh, you know, really in a lot of Superman stories before that, but that all being said, man, this just, then now it, it just is Superman. It feels like Superman. You know, a lot of stories when someone writes Superman or any character, really, they just, you can tell they don't get it or this doesn't feel right. This always feels right. It, you know, even if it's different than what is going on now or different from what was going on 10 years ago or different that was going on 50 years ago, it is 100% Superman. Um, whether you miss things like Superboy or Supergirl, um, it is Superman. There's no doubt. Um and honestly, to me, this is, you know, other than, you know, in comics, this is like, this is pretty much my Superman, the one I kind of relate to more. And I love Superboy and I love all that other stuff, but this is the Superman I think of. I agree. You know, as I said, uh, when we talked about The Flash uh, numerous times, uh, even though I grew up with Barry Allen, Wally West is my Flash. Wally West is the Flash to me. And when this came out, after 20 years of reading Superman, after reading all six issues of this, I said, this is it. This is this is my Superman, and this is what Superman should be. And to me, this is the seminal origin. I know there's been other ones, uh, including, is that your phone or mine? I think it's yours. <laughs> yeah, it's that stupid phone in the living room. <laughs> uh, that's the landline. I never answered. So, uh, yeah, this is, this is um, for me, even though Joe's a 20-year veteran of Superman, I put my... He put a stamp on this, and I, I, I said, okay, Bernie, you won me over. This is Superman, and I, I agree. And what I like about issue two, he's having fun flying around, capturing people and putting people away, and, and, and she's, she's trying to catch up to him, and she's always, she's always late. And it's like there's a joy to him being Superman. Uh, he's, he's the farm boy in the big city, and he's having a good time. Little does he know that, you know, there are, there are dangers lurking in, in future issues right, right. Uh, that, that are going to challenge him. There's this sense of fun about, especially about this issue. Uh, it just comes through in the writing. It comes through in the character. And, and once again, I just keep thinking about how much fun Christopher Reeve had assuming on his first night, right? Saving, including saving a cat in a tree. Yep. So uh, this, this harkens back to that in, in tone and, and feeling. Well, I, I agree. I even, um, when I was rereading it, the scene where he, um, uh, the pages and the scene where he stops the purse snatcher, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, literally there's like a certain, you know, he's not Spider-Man quippy. He's not Wally West quippy funny, but he's got these definitely, he's having fun. And literally this scene remind is something you literally could have, I could see, um, Christopher Reeves Superman doing when he, say, Go ahead. Go ahead. He, he gets, you know, he, he, he gets the, uh, the purse back and he is like, kind of like lands right in front of the, the robber and he just kind of like a like a little uh you know uh like teases him a little bit you know yeah. <laughs> and then you know gives the purse back and takes the guy away and that even the little grin looks like a christopher reeve kind of grim a grin yeah. uh i love it and what does he do before he flies off he tells the, the young lady who he just uh gave the purse back you know um uh, your music is a little too loud. Why don't we just turn? He turns it down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's because you know, because it, it may uh, it may affect. Uh, I'm paraphrasing your quality of living in the, in the city. Yep, yep. So it's like it, that's that's almost an Adam West moment, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but it it works. You buy into it because this, you know, he's he's a farm boy. He's a you know, 
he's a kid in the big city. He's, he's feeling his oats, so to speak. He's having a good time. And, and he, and the thing is he believes that he believes that, you know, noise pollution is, 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 is uh, harming people. So he's going to, he's going to fight for truth, justice, the American way and, and noise pollution. Yeah, I was, yeah, <laughs> like was going to say the same thing. It was, um, I, I like, um, I like the, you know, it's, it's funny because it's, I guess it shied away a, a, a bit now these days, but I like that it wasn't heavy handed or anything, but I, I love that they made a point to say that he was, you know, he's, you know, he's not Kryptonian. He's, he's American and he's, he was raised here and he's, uh, um, you know, happy to be here. I know they kind of lean away from that these days in a lot of stories, mm-hmm. but you know, not a political thing, but I think it's, it's kind of great to see kind of a more traditional valued book. Um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a fun read. Yeah. Okay. That's issue two. You want, you want to, you want to take, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, issue three, cause this is a great issue. Yeah. Well, this, uh, this issue, issue three is, uh, you know, well, first of all, a great thing about the end of last issue was, uh, how, you know, Lois finds that Clark Kent kind of, uh, scooped her on the, the story of Superman. Ah, yes. Yeah. I left it out. You're right. It's very important. Uh, cause very that kind important. of sets the tone for a bit of other stuff, but, um, that was great. Um, this issue, though, for a lot of people, I, I'm assuming would be a, a favorite issue, is uh, in the when Superman meets the Dark Knight of Gotham City. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to tell you, I love all versions of Batman. I like the dark stuff, too. I like this and that. But I love this Batman. He's confident, capable, serious, but he's also a superhero. He's not yeah. his grim, gritty, angst-ridden, you know, uh, you know, He's a vigilante, but he's not like how he's depicted now. I like this is the Batman I like. This Batman, the Batman that was in crisis, um, and the uh, you know the, the, the late eighties before it got too dark. Um, exactly. So clever, always has a plan, um, but also not the Bat God either. You know who's punching dark side and you know stuff like that. Yeah, and you know, you know as I was reading this last night, this issue, um, and he, uh, he 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 goes to the portable. Uh, lab in the bat in, in, in the trunk of the Batmobile, <laughs> you know, and it's. It, it, I was thinking, and you just reiterate what you just said. Also, made me think about this too. This Batman is so much like the Batman that um, I know James considers to be his Batman, and that's the animated version, the Bruce Tim Batman. For all the reasons you just enumerated, he's a crime fighter. He's he yeah he's the creature of the night, but he's not brooding all the time. He can make a joke once in a while. And you could see he's having a little he's having a little fun with Clark here in this in this uh, in this story, and of course he he um, he tells me if you try to uh, you know hold me away a uh, 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 bomb's going to go somewhere in the city, and of course Clark see I'm calling him Clark not Superman, uh, Clark is um, is uh, you know uh, horrified by that, and then we find out at the end that the bomb would have been was planted on on, on Batman he planted it on himself, so, which I love because that that is Batman he's not lying. <laughs> no, he's not. No, um, but no, he, and he would never put anyone else in danger. But that's what he—that's what he had to do. I, I, I love that part. I remembered that immediately. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Magpie appear a few more times after this? Um, in the ongoing Superman book, yeah. And I think in in, in the Batman book too, wasn't there a couple issues in? I think I uh, think you're right. I yeah. haven't reread those Batman's in forever. I, I think you're right though. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, remember the animated Superman, Superman Batman, um, Public Enemies? After they escape uh, the the battle in the in the um, uh, is in the cemetery uh, with um, 
uh, Metallo, Superman's been shot with a kryptonite bullet, and they're talking about villains, and, and Batman tells him that, uh, uh, Superman goes, well, why can't they, go, you know, uh, be good villains like Magpie, and Batman says something to the effect, well, she died. So <laughs> they killed her off in that cartoon, but it was Clark, there are no uh, good villains, something like that, he says to him. But um, there, there are moments that, you know, you can see, obviously these two guys have different approach to crime fighting, but there's a seed planted there, and uh, it, DC takes a long time to make that friendship grow. But, you know, first they have to trust each other, obviously. But um, this was so enjoyable to read. And you're right, this Burns Batman, it's too bad he didn't do more. Um, are you familiar with the miniseries, The Untold Tales of Batman? Uh, no. I think it came out in the early 80s. It's a three-parter. I believe it was written by Len Wein and, and, uh, or, co or written by Byrne. And, and and maybe edited by Len Wein and uh, also penciled by Byrne. You can find no. that anywhere. It's a great series to read. It's it's um, a retelling of Batman's origin with a uh, a story happening in the present, and uh, they, they kind of tie together. It's a really good, really good uh, Batman story. I got you. Know, I, I have. I, I'm from. I never even heard of that. I have to check that out. Yeah. That sounds. Yeah. That sounds years great. before years before Batman Year One. Um, what else did they say about issue number three that we may, we may, may not have? Uh... Well, oh, yeah. go, ahead, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. I was just uh, looking. Well, you know, at, at the end of the issue, uh, the last page, Batman, and finally in the homage to um, pre-crisis reality, Batman muses about Superman in a different reality. I might have called him friend. Yes, I love that part. Right? Yeah, so that was cool. And you know, like, it's kind of like a little wink to the audience who's reading, like, yeah, we... We kind of know that, you know, you, you know what happened before all this and the crisis. And and um, maybe these guys know, too, somehow. And then we find out years later they do. But um, that was so cool. I love that, that little aside at the end of it. I, I love that. I love that. I rereading that. I love that scene. I got a little chill. And I um, it reminded me in a different way of this, the feeling I felt, uh, on a side note, watching in the first season of Smallville, when Clark uh, and Lex are talking in the barn uh, early on, uh, Lex says to Clark, you know, Clark, I, I think our friendship's going to become the, the stuff of legends. And yeah. I just like, I got like a chill. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that. I, rem I remember that. Yep. You know, uh, that was uh, the first four seasons of Smallville are great. It, oh, incredible. Uh, fantastic. I, I used to be, me and my friends would all get together on Wednesday nights and we would watch oh. it. But we never missed it, and it was like it was the best night. We were so excited. <laughs> oh, see, and back in the day uh, when we lived in Brooklyn on Linwood Street, every Tuesday and Wednesday night, we'd, we'd get together uh, my friend's basement. The only color TV on the block, his grandmother had it, and we'd watch the, the, the Adam West Batman. Oh, wow. And she'd make us uh, homemade uh, uh, Italian food. We'd get Zapolas, and we'd get, oh, oh. <laughs> she'd make homemade pizza. Oh, it was great. <laughs> Seven, ten, ten, ten year old guys watching Batman and, and stuff in their faces. Oh, That's great. I was, um, we were in our mid 20s when Smallville was on. So we were, we were probably drinking way too many beers watching Smallville. <laughs> and it was That's a crazy. Wednesday. So it wasn't, uh, <laughs> um, maybe a little pain on Thursday, but we were, yeah, it was super psyched for that show. It was, uh, uh, you know, one of you know, the first three or four seasons were one of the best, uh, you know, my opinion, uh, you know, small well, Superman stories. Well, yeah, I mean, t TV watching, so aside, back in the day, people gathered to watch TV programs. Now, I guess they do is what they call it, watch-alongs, right? You can watch along a certain episode. With yeah, definitely, I've heard that, yeah. Yeah. 
but you know, uh, I, I always tell this story. I mean, we had a big, we had a big mash party in, um, I guess it was February, 1983, the last episode of mash still, uh, the, the highest rated TV show other than the Super Bowl in the history of American television, the last issue of uh, last episode of mash. I, and uh, my, my mother cooked, uh, make, made, made food. And we had neighbors right. in and we sat down for two and a half hours watching that, watching that uh, last episode. Yeah. There's that's you know there's something about that. It's still you know I still do it for certain things, but there's something about that. I love streaming, and I would never want to go back. But there's something about a little bit of appointment TV where you can get gather with people um, and watch something, or even if you're not gathering, just that that thing to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like when we I think you and I spoke about it uh, when it came to Dexter New Blood, which I loved. Every it was great to have every week something to look forward to, but also as much as I love binging, sometimes you can't savor it, you know? Um, right. When we watch Dexter New Blood every week, then you and I could talk about it for a, a day or two mm-hmm. later. Some coworkers and I could talk about it later. And we would have theories and have all that fun of guessing. Um, and now, you know, with, with most shows, you know, look, look how quick you and I watch Cobra Kai, like in one day. Oh, yeah, one day, you go through 10 episodes. <laughs> yeah. And it's great, but um, I feel like maybe you miss out on some of the talking and dissecting yeah. things and speculation. Um, so that's, I, I'm with you. I, I love the like little events like that, getting together with people and watching a finale or a premiere or something. Talking at the water cooler, it was the water cooler shows they used to call them. Seinfeld was one of them. Seinfeld, Seinfeld the, was like and, a big one. Yeah. When Smallville was on, I would go into the, uh, comics, uh, intimate condition. Um, that was when, uh, Richie owned the store. No. Yeah. That was, was that Rich? Yes, that was Rich. And James and I would, hey, did you see Smallville last night? Yeah, and we talk about it for like a, an hour or so. And once a week, we talk about that episode of Smallville. So, yeah, that's why we're doing this uh, podcast, folks. We're trying to bring that that back, you know, that that uh, great uh, time you had when you went into your, your LCS and you talked about um, comics and TVs and movies. And, and, and this particular miniseries is historic. Um, now, when we get to issue four. Uh, this is this is the Lex Luthor issue. And I have some notes here. I don't know if you're aware of this, but. You know, we talked about this off, I think we, we were texting about this yesterday or earlier today about how controversial this series was. Not everybody uh, loves this series the way you and I do. And the contra- a lot of the controversy comes with Lex Luthor. So, really? Um, okay. Yeah. How so? Uh, I mean, well, again, I, I know that he was just mostly a, um, you know, a, a mad scientist prior to, you know, prior to this, but um, I don't really know much else about that, Lex. Well, remember, it's intimated in this story that Lex had, had not intimated, Lex had a thing for Lois. Yes. And she may have dated him once or twice. And then when uh, they're invited to the uh, the yacht for the party, which is, you know, obviously a setup for him to draw out Superman to yeah. see what he can do. Uh, she's, <laughs> she's wearing that dress. He tells her to keep it. She's like, I thought it was only a loner. She throws it back in his face. She takes Clark's coat. And then, of course, all hell breaks loose. But there's a scene, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves in, this, in, 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 in um, talking about issue four here, but there's a scene where Superman comes to the rescue and he picks up the um, Lex Luthor's yacht, right? Yes, yeah. And it's, it's a, I guess the controversy isn't really Lex Luthor, but it's driven because of Luthor's participation in the story. Yes, yeah. And he picks up the yacht and Superman says, wow, this is a lot easier than I thought it would be. Pick, uh, when I have more trouble picking things up when I'm, when I'm on the ground than I do when I'm in the air. Well... That started a kind of a firestorm between Byrne and the editors of DC. Really? Because yeah, because Byrne wanted to re uh, reimagine Superman powers as not being yes, they're solar generated, 
but they were not muscular powers that gave him super strength. They were psionic, that he moved things with his mind. Huh. What, you know, Burns said, how come he can pick up a building in one hand and it doesn't crumble? The other side of the building doesn't crumble, right? Yeah, yeah. And if you pick up a, a, a yacht that big, it would, it would snap into kind of the way it does in Superman Returns. Right when it snaps right, into right, right, oh, Titanic, you know, like how it's yeah, like, exactly. So uh, this started this started some problems with with the DC editorial, and and Byrne wanted to stick to that, and they said no, 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 no. Superman doesn't fly because um, it's uh, in his mind. He doesn't pick up buildings or uh, you know have super strength because it's in his mind. He has super muscles that are powered by the solar rays of the sun. Uh, so yeah, this was a. This started uh, things going, because uh, Byrne only has a two-year run on Superman titles after this miniseries. And he leaves kind of uh, uncerem- unceremoniously, he leaves the book. Uh, I t- I, till this day, I don't know if he was fired. If he, le- he I think he says he left. I do know he said he regrets leaving, but um, uh, he, he, I don't think he was fired per se. I think he did. They just came to a parting of the ways because he had different ideas about the character moving forward. So, well, you yeah. know, that being said, though, I, when I was, you know, looking through all the burn issues on online, it's crazy how big his run was because, like, it, yeah. even though it was only two years, plus, the, like, he was on Adventures of Superman, he did some action. He also did the the uh, four mini, or oh, three miniseries, the World of Smallville, World of Krypton, and World of Metropolis. Right. He was, um, he was Superman like the, came out twice a month. The Superman book came out twice a month that he was working on, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was like a uh, kind of akin to like um, like Jeff Johns on the JSA, like you know, like mm-hmm. synonymous with with that. Um, Jack Kirby. Oh my God! <laughs> right? Yeah, like like sculpting, you know, something on yeah. a corner of uh, an important corner of the DC universe, and especially with Superman, because uh, even more so back then, but even now. You know, it all kind of it all comes from Superman. You know what I mean? Like that has to, you know, that he's the foundation of you know of the DC universe. Oh yeah, I mean that, that's uh, that's obvious. And I mean, uh, you know, here we are with the apparently Gunn and Saffron are going to start their their DCU and they're starting it off with Superman because they realize it's. I mean, this is he is the first superhero, nineteen thirty-eight. Uh, you know, it, you, if you're going to start a, a universe and. And DC, it's got to start with Superman. Yeah, Don't he's the ideal. Don't face the Batman and Wonder Woman. It's Superman. Yeah, you know? I agree. I mean, um, right? that's one thing. Uh, one of my favorite things about the the book uh, by Jeff Johns, Doomsday Clock. Um, I love, you know, spoilers for anyone who hasn't read it, and I won't go into detailed spoilers. But a big point of the book is that it all starts with Superman, mm-hmm. and that Superman's greatest. And I agree with this. Superman's greatest power is that he inspires people. Right. And what I loved about it is that Superman saves the day without technically throwing a punch. Um, he finds yeah. a way around. I mean, he throws punches in the story, but um, not yeah. to solve the big issue. And um, I think that's kind of a, a huge message that I love about Superman, that he, he inspires and he always finds a way to do the right thing. Which is what I don't like about the movie Man of Steel. I, I don't like that he killed General Zod. And I know that if you want to be quote unquote realistic, it can make sense, but that's not the point of Superman. The point of Superman, I think, is to show that he always finds a way to inspire you to always try to find a way. I don't want to see someone, Superman, snap someone's neck. And by the way, he could have just flew up (laughs) out of the building. I can say, yeah, exactly. But um, it's just, you know, I don't want to hear about realism. I want to, you know, 
a character should be written a certain way and the story should be written that way. And uh, so I'm, that's, you know, I like Henry Cavill and I think, I think he, he, he does a great job, but um, I, I'm not, that's not the Superman I'm a fan of. There's plenty of dark heroes out there or, or angsty heroes or murderous heroes, you know, leave Superman alone. Superman, Spider-Man, Captain America can't be angsty. No, they can't yeah. be. Uh, last week's uh, episode of Superman and Lois, episode two, addresses what you just talked about in Man of Steel. Um, he comes across an old villain, uh, Adam Man, who um, didn't have powers when we saw him in, in, in uh, last year, but now all of a sudden he has superpowers. We, we don't know why yet, how that's going. It's got something to do with, um, uh, um, what's his name, Manheim, uh, the head of Intergang. But... Um, uh, they're fighting in, in Metropolis, and Superman looks around, and starts seeing people being in danger. Like, all right, this has got to stop. I got to get you know, he's um, taking you out of here. And they, they, he flies him to the to the wharf area of Metropolis, which is kind of deserted. And it's like, well, why the hell didn't you know Zack Snyder have Henry Cavill do that in, in Man of Steel? They, they, they toppled buildings. They killed ten thousand people in that fight. And it just, it's just, I, and we get, oh, he's new at this in that movie. It was his first fight, you know, so to speak. <laughs> Well, not really, because they had just destroyed Smallville, uh, you know, 15 minutes earlier in the movie. So, duh, where's the learning curve? Right. And that's just an excuse. Yeah. They, 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 the real answer is that they want him to be doing those things in the, yeah. the movie. Um, you can make, you can take something seriously and, and, and not being ultra-violent or, or making him a murderer. I was listening to a podcast with um, Mark Way where he was talking about James Gunn announcement and all that. And it's just funny. One of the things he said, he's like, I don't have a high bar. Just don't make him murder people. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Exactly. Right. No, Superman doesn't murder. No. Even Batman doesn't murder. Well, you know, Batman's not murdering people. Why should Superman be murdering Didn't people? Didn't they have Batman like killing people with a machine gun or something in, 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 in one of those movies, Justice League or something? Uh, yeah, well, I know in, 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 in Batman, uh, 1989, uh, he sends the Batmobile into the Joker's factory and blows it up with all the Joker's head. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> and then in Batman Returns, he's got the, uh, he's shooting the, uh, the circus of crime, right? The, the clowns in them, he's blasting them. I guess it's one of those things, I, I was re-watching Batman Returns with someone recently, and I guess it's one of those things, it's all about imagery, right? You're shooting like a machine gun into a crowd, it looks like murder, but when, when we see Michael Keaton... That's throwing someone off a building quick. You assume he lands on a pillow or something somewhere. <laughs> well, that that big clown he uh, who had the bomb, he stuffed it in his in the guy yeah. pants, and, he, and he, they punched him, and he he fell in that hole in the street, and he explodes. Obviously, that guy got killed. Right. So, right. Uh, well, yeah, that's the whole comic book, um, you know, uh, trope that uh, you know the thing and the Hulk are fighting in the middle of Manhattan, and it's only oh that building oh, that building was abandoned, or it's Sunday morning, and right. there's nobody there. Right. <laughs> I feel like there's something to it. There's something to the imagery. Like, you know, you could say to a kid, like, you know, you didn't see the, the, the fat clown die. You can kind of yeah, put it out yeah. of your mind a little bit. And I never thought of it as a kid. I never saw, I never thought that that guy died when I was a kid. I didn't. Oh, I was, yeah, I knew he died. <laughs> it, it just never kind of occurred to me. Um, but when I see Batman with like an Uzi in, in this Justice League movie, I'm like, oh, I don't know. It just, yeah, that's too much. That, yeah, that's it rubs me much. the wrong, it's like, I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way, but I don't think Superman should be anywhere near any of that because um, he always finds a way. And if you want him to be in a story, in my opinion, where it's dark and real and always real, then that, that, in my opinion, don't use Superman because that's just not what I want to see. And I don't exactly. think that's what he's meant for. I don't think that's what he was created for. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, I know he gives a depression hero hero. And if you go back, read some of the Golden Age stuff, I think he does kill some people, throwing them off the roofs and stuff. But 
that didn't last too long because they had they you know they didn't have a comics code authority, but they did have people watching them uh, put out these comic books, and uh, I'm sure they heard from different groups uh, uh, during that during that era. And listen, you can't uh, you can't like you know blame a character for some type of writing, whether it was just bad writing or just writing of its time, or just trying to work out who the character is. I was talking to someone online about Flash stuff recently, and they were like, well, you know, Wally West and Heroes in Crisis. I'm like, that was a terrible eight-issue miniseries um, and a terrible, like, a year or two of, of bad-written Wally West comics. His whole history is not that. You, you, know, you can't, it's because someone will point out that, you know, in the burn ongoing, um, you know, Clark kills the Phantom's own criminals. I like to pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. No, I, me too. Me too. So quickly getting back, we realized. Yeah, sorry, we, we just, no, it's my, my fault too. Um, Eighteen months have passed since the first issue. Now that we're in issue four, they they make note of that because Luther was spent an entire year in South America, and he's back now. And and um, and also the big thing here, Lex Luther is more of a middle aged man. He's got a little bit of a paunch. He's got red hair like he did back in the golden age, but uh, he starts to lose it as the series goes on. And Lex Luther never lived in Smallville. He and Clark. Me for the very first time in, in this issue, right? Yep. So he has, uh, so that that's interesting. Uh, you know, it's like, wow, Luther in, Luther wasn't in Smallville. I, you know, I should have realized that from issue number one, he wasn't there. But this this issue crystallizes it that this is the first meeting of of, uh, of uh, Clark and Luther and Clark and and then when Superman comes to save the day from the terrorist that he hired that he hired, and and then it it all goes awry, right? Because he gets jailed for that. Yep. Excellent, sir. Oh, and he holds a grudge. I'll tell you the one thing I, I, I love this book, but I do prefer it when they were friends in Smallville. I, I like that, that history that they have together. And it might just because yeah. the show cemented it in me. And I loved Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling's dynamic. Uh, but I prefer that, but this was great too. I love the bald joke that uh, Lois says to him. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is Margot Kidd as Lois Lane, without a doubt. What'd you say? You look like. Um, oh my gosh! Oh, so, real quick. I'll, I'll oh. look for it. Right while you're no, I remember thinking I was an old a, a reference that a lot of new readers wouldn't get. <laughs> Let's see if I can find that. I think it was in the prior issue. I thought it was this yeah. issue. It was this issue, right? What, what did she call it? It was a, a funny kind of um, um, a, a one-liner. She's uh, like, "Cut your hair. You look like someone." Oh, Fred Merch. You're, Fred you're Merch from like yeah, Fred I love Merch. Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> that is great. You know, uh, again, uh, I don't know how many people get that today, but in 1986, uh, everybody would have gotten that uh, that reference, Fred Merch. In 1986, that would be like now making like a Friends reference, you know? Yeah, exactly. A Friends or a Seinfeld reference. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. But so, fun. yeah, I mean, and then when Superman is either coming out of the, the courthouse or the steps of the, of the police precinct, he meets Luther, and that's when the game is on. When Luther says, you know, this is my city. You took it away from me. See, everybody works for me in this city, whether they know it or not, blah, blah, blah. Uh, which we hear um, uh, Clancy, uh, what's his name now? Clancy Brown as Lex Luthor in, uh, in the yep, animated series. Absolutely. Yep. And, we all, and we also hear John Shea and Lois and Clark say the same thing. All these people work for me, even though they don't know it. And he says, you know, um, I'm going to find a way to end you. And to me, I wrote in big letters here, game on, because that's the beginning of, of you know, what I think, you know, you this is argue, argue, arguable. You can argue this. What's the greatest superhero villain rivalry? Is it Superman, Luther? Is it Batman, Joker? Is it 
Reeve Richards I would, and Dr. Doom. I, I would, I honestly, I would think it's Superman and Luther. It's because, um, you know, the Batman Joker thing, I feel like doesn't really have a baseline. Joker's always got different motives. He's a, a mm. nut all over the place, crazy. And I think Doom and, and Reed are definitely like a, a close second. But I think Lex and Clark, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily have to be an issue where, you know, like the Joker comes in for a story arc. And, he, you know, it's due to his character. He has to like, he has to be, you know, locked up in Arkham after for a while or, or sent someplace else. Um, Lex can, especially this particular version of Lex or any version post-crisis, really, he's always around as like not only the scientist, but the, the, the corrupt businessman. He's always kind of like a thorn in Superman's side and can play different, even kind of um, antagonists in different ways, you know? Um, oh, yeah. He'd be closer to a friend sometimes. I, I really, I think you really can't top Superman and Lex Luthor, honestly. Yeah, one other one I would throw out there is, is Spider-Man and Green Goblin. You know, Peter Parker and Norman Osborn. That's a great one. Obviously. But no, and this Luther, you know, and, and like, and he's always around, which is good because he's around because he has the tallest building in Metropolis, right? Yeah. And he uh, he mentions that again in the in the pilot episode of Lois and Clark. I keep going back to that series because I love it. But he <laughs> says, "I like to look. I like to look down on Metropolis because I own this city, basically." And um, you know. In the first episode of the animated series, Superman shows up hovering outside his window and uh, he doesn't say anything for a few seconds and Luther gets really angry. And then again, Superman shows up or Dean Kane Superman shows up hovering outside Lex Luthor's window at the 110th floor, you know, and he pisses, he pisses Luther off again. So it's like, you know, these, these two are going to go at it. We know that. And um, this is, he sets the stage so perfectly here in, in this particular issue. But like you said earlier, I do miss this is one of the things. The two things that I, I I still have a tiny problem with are are the depiction of Krypton being completely sterile, you know, and even even to the point where Lara is like, you know, it's not even a mother to the baby. Right. right? And also I I prefer Clark and Lex starting out as friends and then becoming rivals as as boys, as teenagers. Oh, uh, so it adds so much more weight to everything, yeah. you know. I feel yeah, like it's, it's almost just, like a like especially nowadays, like how do you not have that there? Right, and it just it just it just further proves what we've just said, or further, uh, you know, uh, validates what we just said about how they're being the two greatest adversaries, protagonist and antagonist, in comic book history, because it goes back to their adolescent years. So yeah. absolutely. Any, anything else we need to say about issue four? About you, this issue? No, no. Okay, so we're going to go on to issue five, which I think I have a I have a, like a a really warm place in my heart for issue five because. Uh, well, issue five and six, because it, it there's two characters that take center stage, two supporting characters. Uh, in issue five, it's Lucy Lane. Yes. In issue six, of course, it's Lana Lang, which I want I want to get into that. We'll, we'll get to later. But we, you know, we we meet Bizarro, who's not called Bizarro, by the way, in this issue. But it starts off with Superman, you know, it, going to Hong Kong and returning Lex Luthor's armor, which you know was obviously pre-crisis. His pre-crisis yeah, armor. So this that's is how it opens right? up. I love it. Yeah, and you know, again, he's like, uh, and some people thought, if you read some of the reviews, some people thought that Byrne was, t- t- you know, turning up his nose to the, to the no, he's not. He's, not at all. he's, he even said once, if all the stories in the Silver Age and and uh, Bronze Age matter to you, then they happened. I'm just not referencing them. That's all. And you know what? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, uh, uh, did you read World's Finest Thirteen? 
Not yet. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. I didn't. I'm chance. I'm gonna read it probably tonight. I can't this wait. Kind of like, the cover alone, I love. <laughs> this kind of like you know makes my point here. The great Mark Wade starts off with a uh, reference uh, between Batgirl and Supergirl. The, the story begins uh, are kind of like making fun of Superman and Batman. You mean to tell me that Batmite and M- Mitchell Plick disguise themselves as us and fooled you two? You, the world's greatest detective. And that is from an issue of World's Finest Comics from 1967. That's great. It's, you know, I think it was written by Jim Shooter. I could be wrong. I should have checked the uh, who wrote that. But th- he references a book that's 55, 56 years ago. You know, and uh, and and Byrne is, Byrne is throwing these little you know these little uh, nuggets and and uh, what are they called nowadays um, when you put stuff in there for for the fans? Uh, Easter eggs, right? Yes. Yeah, it's a nice little Easter egg that 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 splash page of him holding the suit up, the uh, the pre-crisis Luther suit, battle armor, whatever you want to call that. So, what did you think about this issue? Well, first of all, I, I forgot all about Lucy Lane being in this and the whole yeah, right? star being you know blind for a portion of it. I thought it was um, a great way to introduce her character. Um, mm-hmm. You like almost immediately had like sympathy for her and already cared about her when generally I, I never really have. Um, so I think that was good. I liked how they, I liked the take on, you know, on Bizarro. I don't think you could do a reboot of Superman, you know, and so early on introduce like a Bizarro universe. I think it was come across silly. Yeah. Um, I think you have to kind of, you know, move into these kind of things a little slower. Uh, so I liked the take on that. I liked, of course, Lex would try to create his own Superman. Um, yep. it, you know, it made sense within the sense of, you know, of a, of a superhero comic. I felt sympathy for Bizarro until you find out he's basically mm-hmm. a robot. Yeah, uh, really, really great issue. Of course, Burns' art is... That's the thing. Burns, in my mind, not as great as like George Perez, but very similarly, when, I, when I'm when i reading it, I, I have to stop and kind of like gaze at the art a lot. Yeah, Burns' art, I mean, he's not George Perez because he doesn't have the intricate backgrounds, obviously, right? Yeah. But he has a command of anatomy that reminds me of actually Gil Kane, you know, uh, and um, I, I, when I first saw Burns' art, I, I immediately thought of Gil Kane, who's one of my favorite artists. Very kinetic, uh, and and Byrne is like Kane, um, is a storyteller. His art, your eye moves along the page, following what's going on. You don't need the, you really don't need the, uh, the words. You can tell the story by, by the artwork. You're, you know, you're, you're right. I was, you know, thinking the same thing when I was reading it. He reminds me of, in a way, and not, not his style. Um, well, not their style. Um, it reminds me of both um, George Perez and Kevin McGuire in the sense where, and even Mark Begley, in the sense where in various panels, through most of their work, when you see characters in the background, mm. they look like they're really there in the sense where they, they're not just standing there with smiles or, or, or stoic faces. It looks like there's interactions going on, yep. In the background, or even it's in a scene where like Clark's at the table with his family, maybe someone's like looking the other. It looks like these are real life interactions, and a lot of artists, especially nowadays, don't really do that. Everyone's kind of standing there at a barbecue, just like holding a hot dog, and not really doesn't look like they're doing much else. And this, I feel like I'm almost in a TV show or a movie. Yeah, artists artists pose their characters a lot. Burn. Uh, Bagley, like you spoke about him, I, I think Kane. There's always something going on. There's 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 movement in the panel, 
and yep. you know, he keeps it. And also, Byrne knows how to use negative space. I'm looking at page seven of, of issue four. Lucy, you know, Lois doesn't want to leave Lucy alone in her apartment because she's sightless and she's worried about her. And that the, the, the panel at the bottom of page four is uh, oh. uh, a horizontal long panel. And there's, you know, on the far right, there's Lucy sitting there with her hands in her, in her, uh, in her eyes. And it's not a black background. It's a white background, which is yeah. very interesting. You'd think that because she's blind, he would have made that black. But no, he's, it's, it's, it's really, you know, uh, it evokes what she's missing, I guess, which is the yeah. light of the world. She can't see. And I, when I saw that panel this, reading this, I said, oh, my God, this is brilliant you know, artwork and, and storytelling. I think you're right. You know, it's funny. I just went back to that page now, but when I was rereading it, I saw that too. And it definitely stood out to me. Um, it's things like that, that make a really good artist. It's, it's, they're almost like, I, I know he also wrote the book. So he maybe he had a little more of a, you know, uh, a, a, you know, a leg up on some people, but right. as far as artists that don't write the book, even they're almost, they're like the director of the story. You know what I mean? They're, they're mm-hmm. given a script. And they have to direct it. They have to kind of put things where they, you know, where they should be. And that's such a great little, little scene there. Um, yeah. It, it, again, it makes you sympathize for her even more. Yeah, it does. And, and then later on, we find out that um, uh, because he's not human, Superman can take, um, take um, Bizarro, what do you call that, down. And when he explodes, the, his dust, which they mentioned earlier in the, in the, in the issue, has the reaction to the chemicals that blinded um, uh, Lucy a year before, and it, it cures her, of her, of her, it gives her back the gift of sight. Let's see, um, I wrote something down about that too. Um, if I can find it. Um, yeah, she, well, you know what? I'll just open, I'll just open to the page. Why the hell not? So while I'm doing that, anything else I missed or you, you, want, to, you want to add to the uh, issue five? Um, well, I think that this definitely had, out of all the other issues, more heart in the sense of uh, yep. of, of uh, him and like Lois being together. Um, before that, it was a lot. You know, she's giving him a really hard time in the beginning because you know uh, he scooped her on the big Superman story. This one definitely has more heart, so I even like Lois even more because I want to see her as a badass, but I also want to see her as a kind person, um, which you know you oh, see yeah. here. So I really like that. Yeah, she's Great she's worried about her sister. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, then that great burn art, uh, you know, great fight scenes. Um, yeah, I definitely uh, really enjoyed this issue. And, um, you know, the the uh, last page kind of, you know, when you when you find out exactly how she was cured. I don't know, mm-hmm. it just kind of it, even though it's the robot, it kind of made me feel a little sad for, <laughs> for Bizarro. Yeah. No, I mean, she goes... Um... Uh, he says to somehow it counteracted the chemicals that originally caused your, uh, caused their blindness, shattering the thing's unliving body created enough of the dust to cure her. And Lucy says, and and you knew Superman, you knew that when you uh, risked your life to destroy him. No, no, Lucy, I didn't, I didn't, but somehow I think he did. Yeah. That, that just goes that speaks to what you just said about how you feel sorry for Bizarro, and uh, because. Remember that when he, when Superman showed up in Hong Kong, uh, that his body was being scanned, right? But they didn't know he was an alien. This is the issue where Luther finds out he's an alien too. Yes, also yes. a big reveal. We forgot that almost. Yeah. So, but um, I think it's you know it takes from Superman not only his his his, his obvious super strengths, but 
you you get the feeling that some of the goodness of Superman was 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 also transferred into, into Bizarro because he does save Lucy, right? And when she jumps out the window, she tries to commit suicide. You know that's yeah. you know that's a that's a big deal too. And if you see how how Bizarro kind of behaved when he was with Lucy and um, and Lois, and like Lois, so yes, softer and kind. Yeah, um, I, are you familiar with Lucy Lane in the Silver Age? Not in the Silver Age. I, my only real um, exposure, I think, to her is in the Supergirl movie. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's um, we're not going to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> but in but in the Silver Age, Lucy was. Um, See in this in this issue, obviously Lucy's a an adult and Jimmy is still an adolescent at the Daily Planet. But Lucy and Jimmy were an item. They 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 went together for a long time in in the Silver Age. Lucy Lane and, and Jimmy Olsen. There are even imaginary stories where they were married. Uh, they oh even, wow! Yeah, they even had an imaginary story where Jimmy marries Supergirl. But um, but Lucy and Jimmy were were an item for a very very long time in the Silver Age. And she was back in the day they called her an airline steward stewardess. Of course, she's that's flight attendant now. But uh, that was her profession, as it was in this in this book too. So Lucy's a, a, a seminal character from the Lois Lane comic books and Jimmy Olsen comic books of that you know of the Silver Age era. And um, what, what else do we need to say about this issue? Um, no, that, I like it. It ended on that note. It just kind of yeah. makes you like, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's all this wild action going on, but you like you said, you have that awe moment for the for, for the for the undead creature, the, you know, uh, the uh, unliving creature, which is you know. It's almost like a Star Trek moment, you know, like Mr. Data, you feel for him. Yeah. And, and, and other, uh, you know, things that are not considered life forms. So, um, very, you know, very, you know, very perceptive of John Byrne and um, just drawing you in further. Now we get to issue six. Oh, this is a good one. You, you better start because I can't find my notes anyway. <laughs> yeah, this this one really, um, I had forgotten a lot of stuff about this I issue. Did, yeah, me where too. Where we going to go. Um, didn't expect where it was all going. And this issue, you know, really introduced Lana Lang. Then they show her as a little girl in the first issue, but mm-hmm. and you know how, how she, you know, declared Clark her boy, her, her boyfriend. But yeah, like five years old. Yeah. Really, and this is the first time you see her. This is my, well, I wouldn't say this is my first exposure to Lana Lang in the comics. Other, you know, I, I remember Annette O'Toole and Superman. Uh, I think three or four. Three, yeah, three. Um, but other than that, this is my first, ex- you know, exposure to the comic version. I really like this person. You know, she was, um, you know, uh, in love with Clark, uh, uh, you know, troubled by, you know, the lack of the romance, uh, mm-hmm. or how she kind of had to lose Superman because, uh, lose Clark because uh, Superman belongs to the world, as she said. Really great issue again. I love that he goes back to Smallville. Um, right. I like that there's so much time spent in Smallville uh, with his folks and with Lana. I feel like the art, even in this issue, like extra tight. I'm not sure if it would, I'm not sure what was going on there, but it, it's probably one of the best, um, best looking issues of the series. Um, no, I think I think you're right. From yeah, the first and last issue, I think are the best looking issues of the series. I agree. Yeah, there's just something there, and uh, uh, he gets a little visit from you know uh, from Jorel. Uh, just an overall really great issue, uh, really satisfying. W- what did you think initially? How was Lana Lang uh, portrayed uh, pre-crisis? Because I really Barely, I have no idea how that was. How oh, that was. she was the lowest lane of Clark's youth in, in, in Smallville. She was, you know, Superboy's girlfriend. And uh, she was friends with Clark, but Clark always had to ditch her when he had to turn into Superboy. And Lana, like Lois, has always suspected Clark of being Superboy. Mm-hmm. So you know, 
for for kids of that era, she was written as a nudge. <laughs> you know, a total, complete nudge. And um, is she, um, uh, did she have parents in the Silver Age? I, I, she had, well, her uncle was, I believe, Professor Potter. Was it not been Professor Lang, too? I don't know. I, it's, 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 there was a Professor Lang. I think her father was Professor Lang and her uncle was Professor Potter, who was an archaeologist. But um, I could be wrong about that. Uh, but Lana, Lana was that type of character, and and, and here in, in this in this story, what's interesting now? By the way, they tell us it's ten years later, so ten years have passed since the first issue. So Superman obviously is established in the world. He's had multiple adventures with other heroes that we haven't seen yet, and that's another thing that people uh, who don't like this series have a problem with. Well, you you know you you aged them too quickly. Well, how could ten years pass in three issues in six issues? Well, that was the plan, not John Byrne's plan, by the way, DC's plan. Byrne wanted to have it as a coming-of-age story because there was no Superboy. He wanted a young Clark to, to start out slowly as Superman and learn and learn his trade, so to speak. But DC, no, he said, no, we have to have a fully formed Superman. Uh, we, you know, and, and you can tell your story from there. But Lana, you know, I wrote something here. I think I texted you this the other day. He goes back and he they, he reminisces after he see, he has a hallucination with Jarrell. She finds him running in the field, and they they, they go back to the first night. You know, after that big uh, high school football game win, when he he, he he can fly, right? And he, he grabs Lana and flies her around the world. He reveals himself to Lana. And uh, at that point, it was only just Martha and Jonathan that knew about his special powers. And, and you know, it's so... I, I don't want to use the word I used in, in the text. <laughs> I don't remember what he said, right? We're not going to use that word here. But he kind of screws up her life. Yeah. Because he... he, he, he Takes her around the world. She thinks this is going to be, you know, this is the beginning of, of, of their relationship. He kisses her on the forehead like a brother. I think she even says that. And yeah, he flies yeah. off. And, uh, you know, we don't know if they've, if, if they've seen each other in the interim years that he's come back to Smallville or not. I think, you know, and she says she's moved on. And we know that Lana, in this continuity, will eventually marry Pete Ross and become, uh, and he becomes vice president. And then when Superman, Batman, and Lois take president Lex down she becomes the first lady because pete ross becomes president for a while right um, yeah so so I, it's not like her life is totally ruined but I, I think there's an aspect a very tragic aspect to lana's character here and i didn't like it at first when i read it but i remember reading it the first time you know, back then in 1986 because of lana i grew up with but i, I think it's important that you know and, and he's and and while he's thinking about this he's also thinking about lois right and his parents told him, you should, you know, what was the father? No, the mother says, get after her. <laughs> so uh, you, you know that he's conflicted between these two women. And he, and I think he knows he hurt her. He apologizes for it. But he knows that you know, his one true love is Lois. And when he gets back to Metropolis, he's going to start, you know, making that known. It's a very personal story. He learns for the first time he's, he's an alien, right? This goes back, Keith, I don't know if you're familiar with this, if you know this about the legend, but in the, in the golden age, yes, we, we, we have the two-page the two page origin, I think in, either in action or maybe later on Superman number one in 1939, and Krypton is mentioned, but that's all we know. He's a, you know, it came from Krypton. It wasn't until Superman, one, six, Superman 61, 1949, Superman's return to Krypton, that he finds out he's an alien. Really? So, yeah. He finds, uh, he, he, he discovers uh, kryptonite, affects him, 
He wants to know why. So he travels back through time to follow the path of how the rock got to earth. And he, he's kind of like a ghost wandering around Krypton. He sees his parents. He sees the civilization. He sees the end of Krypton. And he comes back wow. to earth. He says, now I know why I'm different because I'm an alien. And Clark has that same, that same, um, you know, revelation here, but what's important about the revelation at the end of the story, or, you know, in, in this one, you know, that he finds out he's an alien, but he considers himself. Oh. A, 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 well, right? That's what, yeah, that's absolutely like I was saying before, which I, I love about it. You know, he, you know, um, he, he says uh, something to the effect of Krypton made me Superman, you know, uh, Smallville and uh, made me who I am, who made me yeah. uh, American and, and uh, yeah, good. Yeah. yeah I, I love that. I love the ending. The ending is, it's such a, it's a great place to start, you know, and, and, and to start because after that, you're just excited for a, a new beginning for, for now uh, stories that take place, you know, more currently in the DC universe that, run concurrent to, you know, Justice League International and Flash and um, Wonder Woman, Batman and all that. And you're ready to like jump into that. You're excited to jump into that because, you know, they've um, they fleshed out um, this particular version of Superman. So you're ready to see him interact with all the new versions of other characters that, you know, mm -hmm. Wonder Woman that's, that's landed here and, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, Batman um, and you know, the Justice League and all that. I also, uh, you know, to kind of go back to what you were saying before, when I was reading it, I, I didn't remember it, like you said, taking place. Oh, it was such a, a long, you know, a 10 year uh, gap of time. Yeah. So while I forgot we're reading that too, talking about it again, stories, yeah. he's, he's already been a part of the, of the Justice League uh, mm -hmm. and, and certain things like that. I thought that was really interesting and really fun. And it, it just made you kind of want to, it just made you want to see him interact with, with these other characters more. And that, that 10 year gap, reading it, this time, I couldn't help but didn't make me think of uh, the five-year timeline of the New Fifty Two. Ah, oh yeah, right. Which was that was for like, every every character they had. Every character. Yeah. So Batman had had four Robins in five years. No, that's right, exactly. Yeah, that's right. work. Exactly. Like so many things were condensed, especially when it came to Batman and Green Lantern. But you know, Superman. You know, they gave him a ten-year run which is kind of funny considering that they were if you really think about it they were rebooting everything and to give and taking away so many things to give them a 10-year history um it's kind of unusual <laughs> yeah well I, I think that had to do with um uh, and this maybe this also led to burn leaving because obviously that's what dc wanted they they wanted a fully you have a fully formed superman in the, by issue two right yeah and lois is chasing him he's still new but, um, and, and remember, he left Smallville when he was 18 and Ma's been collecting those, 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 uh, stories for seven years. Yeah. Before, and when he, and that's when he saves the plane. So he's 25 and then, uh, you know, so it's, it, it's, um, yeah, they, it, it, they, they kind of like condensed the timeline into six issues, but it also, it makes sense. And it also seems right that, that it plays out this way. Um, you know, uh, in, in Superman the movie, um, he's 18 years old when he finds the crystal, right? Yeah. And he takes it to the north and he throws it into the ice and builds the fortress. Yeah, and he meets his father. So, Jarrell. So, um, I had no problem with any of this. Uh, it, it worked for me and, and I knew that I was going to, you know, I, I bought, I'm going to admit this now in public for the first time, I bought 20 issues of Superman number one. 
I bet, I bet. I still have them all, by the way. And I think think they're worth about three bucks each. But uh, yeah, I did buy, and I must have purchased uh, about a dozen issues of Action Comics. I forget what number that was when he took took over. And the same thing with Adventures of Superman. I think it was 423 or 424. Um, You know, that was written by Marv Wolfman and penciled by the great Jerry Ordway. Oh, Lex Luthor. Um, again, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but I've read enough articles and heard from enough people that the change to Lex Luthor was really suggested by Marv Wolfman to make him to go from the uh, the gray you know, the gray flannel mad scientist uh, hiding out underneath the Metropolis Museum to the uh, the billionaire industrialist uh, you know uh, you know madman so to speak. That was uh, that was kind of Marv Wolfman's idea. So huh. Wolfman did have Wolfman did have some 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 say into this uh, rebooting of Superman. I, uh, I love that that first issue. Um, you talked about. I can still see it in front of my head. It, it like pulled me into right away. It was a. It's your first issue, Superman, and it may be your last. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, he's on the ground and, and Metallo standing over him, right? And the kryptonite yep. is radiating. You know, a kryptonite poisoning on uh, on him. Yeah, and that's a classic first issue, though. That like makes you want to jump in. It's not just a character posing or flying like that's like a, a this uh like a cop i think i think it was a panel from the you know, inside of the book just you know made better you know what i mean i uh just like uh, more precise more like cleaner art i am um, that's a that's a great cover there's too many covers now to this like posing and stuff like that you know i like these action covers no, well, yeah those are the type of co- covers you got in the silver and bronze age you got action covers especially uh, you know, uh, when you think of um, Jack Kirby, when you think of uh, Gil Kane, you think of Carmen Infantino on the Flash cover, right? It was always moving oh, on, God, the, yeah. on the Flash covers. So, yeah, and that also, you know, you draw your eye to it. You pick it off the stand or the rack. You want to buy that as a kid. Uh, there's, there's, there's other things about this uh, this series. Uh, let's see now. I just had it in my head and it got knocked out <laughs> that I wanted to say about this. Um, there are other changes that, that obviously Byrne made. Um, why can't I think about them? Did you, did, I, did, did we, did we miss any Keith? Any, any of the major changes? Um, were, were made? You, know, you know, I can't really think of any of the major changes. I mean, the obvious ones, you know, Supergirl, Superboy, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, and how you know, certain past relationships, you know, but a, a lot of the other changes, I guess, will, would come with the ongoing series after, um, or series, but I think he really set such a great groundwork and it stuck for so long, you know, even now, even though they brought some silver age stuff back, um, they've mostly mixed it in with the burn stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, a lot of the burn, especially the feel of the character and how, how he, I feel like how Superman speaks now and has spoken for the last 30 years, his voice um, is definitely John Byrne Superman. I, I think so too. I mean, there there was um, a time uh, recently when Superman became the guy again. And Clark was the disguise, but uh, this works so much better. Yeah. That, you know, because although if, if 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 Superman isn't human, then I, uh, he becomes not Earth's greatest protector, but Earth's greatest nightmare. When you think about it, if he's not grounded by Martha and Jonathan Kent and Lana growing up and the people in Smallville. And, and and Lois, when he meets her at Lois in in, in, in Metropolis, 
it's uh, this could go really off the rails very quickly, and he, he could become. You know, Superman was conceived by Siegel and Schuster as being a villain in 1933, and they couldn't sell it. And then when they finally sold it uh, years later, they, they turned him into a, a depression. Oh wow, villain. I didn't know that. That's interesting. He was conceived as a villain, the Superman. Yes, he was like this. Uh, wow. Yeah, this this uh, he had super brain power, something like that. So, um, but. It works, and, and it, uh, yeah, I, I believe that they're still mining this. Uh, obviously, uh, I'll come back to it again, the new event, Lois Clark, New Adventures of Superman, which really came out right after the, uh, the death of Superman, which you know, made Superman relevant again to the world. But obviously, Deborah Joy Levine, the showrunner, she pulled heavily from the John Byrne era, you know, especially the relationship with Clark. You know, there's that episode in season two where they go back to Smallville, Lois is pissed off at him because she finds out he's Clark. And he says, Superman is what I can do. Clark is who I am. And to me, those are the most profound words ever spoken in any medium of a Superman, you know, whether it be comic, movie, uh, TV series. Uh, I don't play video games. But that's, that's, you know, that's it. That's the essence of the character. That's, that's who he is. He's Clark. Yeah, and I feel, like, it, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it doesn't have to, you know, I get why, you know, for the Christopher Reeve movie movies, I get it. And that works great. And it's fun. And I'm totally fine with that. Um, but I'm with you. I, I don't like the idea of, of, um, of you know, I don't, I don't even really like the idea of either one of them really being the mask. I kind of feel like he's always Clark. Right. In the Superman comics I've read, for the most part, I don't think he acts much different as either. You know, he can make his look look different. Maybe change his voice a little bit. I think he's still the same guy. That's what yeah. I liked about like the burn stuff and, and everything since he was never like a goofy little, like, you know, clumsy coward or not that he, not that he was ever a coward, but he was never, well, like, he was in the old, in the silver age and some of the, and even in the early bronze age, he was treated as, uh, as a comedic uh, relief as Clark Kent, because he was hmm. seen by Lois and others as, as a, as a coward. Yeah. As a milk yeah. toast, as they would say. I don't really like yeah. that. I like, I like what well, he's, I've read all these, you know, books since like since Byrne, and he, Clark Kent's a capable guy too. He's just not Superman, and maybe he can kind of blend more, you know, uh, both you know visually and with his personality, you know, tone it down a little bit. But I think he's, I think he's basically the same guy. I don't see him acting any different. I kind of like that more. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's who he is, and Smallville kind of, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of really put that in me more. He's. He's just—he's Clark Kent, you know. That's who he is. And, and you know, uh, you mentioned Christopher Reeve, and Christopher Reeve—you know—he did play Clark Klutzy, but he was not the only person on earth who could pull that off. Oh my God! And, yeah. and, and and you knew that when Reeve was playing that that role, he was having fun with it. Not not Reeve the actor, but Reeve the character he, he created. Oh yeah, uh, Cal, you know Clark Kal El. He was having fun with that. There's that scene where after he takes Lois, you know, on the, a flying around Metropolis, and he goes, "I'm thinking, well, maybe we'll go out for a hamburger." She goes, "That's Clark, nice." And he turns, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he turns to the camera, and there's this smirk on his face. He almost breaks the fourth wall there, and you see, you see the smirk on his face, like I've really gotten to this woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that Reeve is is playing the klutzy character that was in the Silver Age and Bronze Age because that movie came out in the Bronze Age. But he's playing them. Yeah, we, we know what he's doing there. And, and it works perfectly. It does. Then, it does. It definitely does. 
Yeah, so, um, and then, I, and then later iterations, obviously, Dean Kane plays it. Uh, he play, Clark is a little soft-spoken at the very beginning of that show, but uh, once he and Lois start, you know, um, falling in love and the, the battles they have, my God, there's nothing, uh, nothing meek about Clark Kent, especially when he and Lois Lane are arguing. And that's and that's great, you know. If you think about it, you know, it's a a city with you know millions of people there. It, yeah. He doesn't need that big of a disguise. No one's looking at Clark Kent, um, and because Superman doesn't wear a mask, no one even thinks he has a secret identity. Byrne talked um, about that. Yeah, Byrne talked about that in this miniseries, right? Yeah, he sets that uh, up exactly. So it's like a different. I, I don't, I don't mind, and I don't find you know. Do you find it, you know, it's unbelievable that he can fool Lois um, all the time? Yeah, but you have a suspension of disbelief. But everyone else, I have, I have no problem with it. And I like him being, you know, a, you know, a capable, you know, man, not a little like kind of silly goofball. So, yeah, I, to be a top to be a top reporter, you'd have to be a capable individual. Right? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't be a goofball. You can't be a coward getting yourself in all these situations and trouble. Right. So, yeah, I think the, the you know the the burn take that voice and that version of the character, whether certain aspects of the world he's in is rebooted in the history. I think that it's, I think the Jeff Johns version of Superman uh, is, is the burn version that's updated and bringing some silver age elements into it. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's the same character, the same voice. I, th- I literally think of other than, other than the speed bump that was new 52, that Superman from 1986 to now is the same guy. Yeah, oh, I, I would agree. Yes. Yeah, and and what Burns started here in 86, and then, of course, he lasts about two, two and a half years, and then, you know, he has his party of the ways with DC. Then, you know, uh, Wolfman hangs around, always start, always starts writing things. They bring in Dan Jurgens, They bring in Roger Stern, uh, Louise Simonson, Weezy, uh, and others. And the, I think the next 10 years, from 86 to about, oh, even the late 90s, is... is um, unquestionably the best era of Superman and it was all built on the foundation of John Byrne uh, yeah. set with Man of Steel. Yeah. I agree. I That's a good place to end this, right? I think. I, think um, I was thinking the same thing. It was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, because he can go on forever, obviously. So uh, do you have, I have, I have one book I want to recommend. Do you have anything you want to recommend? Yeah, absolutely. People yeah. going out reading Man of Steel? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I got, I got a couple. Go ahead. Shoot. Well, I got two single issues and they're older. Oh, um, I just had reread them recently, and I, you know, recommend people pick them up. They're both uh, got a lot of heart, and and they're fun. So the first one is Impulse number fifty, um, by uh, Todd uh, uh, Dezago and uh, Ethan Van Skyver. It is um, a, a single issue, you know, self-contained story. It's basically. Uh, uh, Impulse teaming up with Batman to take down the Joker. Oh, um, it's a really fun story, beautiful art, and um, it gives you one of the three. There are basically three versions of how Impulse got named in the comics. Uh, one story where Wally West names him, mm-hmm. one where Superman names him, and one when Batman names him. And you can kind of, it's one of those, they put them in stories, but they kind of say like they're all kind of a you know uh he said she said thing what really happened um and this is the best one basically you find out why batman why batman uh, named uh bart impulse and it is a great self-contained story i can't recommend enough it's impulse number 50 
Uh, you can find it on uh, Comixology uh, and the DC Universe app. It is collected in a trade. Um, it is in the uh, the Flash Presents Impulse Mercury Falling Failing um, trade paperback. It's in there, but you could probably just you know pick it up, like I said, on Comixology or the DC Universe app. Um, I can't recommend it enough. Really fun. And the second uh, book is another self-contained story. Well, not really, but you can read it as a self-contained story. It is New Avengers Volume 2, Number 16. Uh, uh, sorry, this is... Uh, so good. By Brian Michael Bendis yeah. and uh, future Flash artist um, Mike Diodato. And it is basically uh, when Daredevil gets invited to join the Avengers. Now, it takes place during a Fear Itself crossover, but you don't have to know anything about Fear Itself. And that's kind of the point. Daredevil even points it out how it's kind of a funny kind of tongue-in-cheek how it's funny how you can just be in the middle of a story, you know, a crossover, and not be there for the beginning or the end, and it's, and I, and it's just over, you know? Um, but basically, it's a really great story. It's kind of like a, um, he talks about how fans would uh, online talk about, you know, what characters are real Avengers and who is worthy and all that. And, you know, it, the l- long way around it, they kind of just, they tell you how Daredevil is, you know, there's no one more worthy of being an Avenger than Daredevil. And it's such a great story and so well written. Again, it's on Comixology, uh, Marvel Unlimited. Um, and I'm sure all of Bendis' Avengers is collected. I'm sure you could find yeah, it. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah. You, you recommended that to me a couple of months ago. And folks, I read that story and it's everything Keith said it was and more. You, if, you're, if you have any affinity for Daredevil, the Avengers, you must read this story. And don't worry about Anything before or after, it's, like you said, it's self-contained. It's a great story. It's some, one of the best things that Bendis has ever written, uh, without a doubt. I thousand percent agree. And I'll tell you, um, if you have a local comic book shop or, or go to a convention, look, I've seen it a million times and even in dollar bins. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Try like, to grab it. maybe, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's worth it. Um, yeah. Okay. Do you have anything else? Is that it? No, that's, that's it for okay. me. I have one book. Um, obviously, as we said, uh, check out what Keith just t- told us about. Obviously, check out uh, Man of Steel. I'm sure it's on all those uh, those platforms that Keith mentioned. Um, but I have one, and also on those platforms, I hope you can find Superman, the Earth Stealers, graphic mm-hmm. novel from the late 80s, uh, written by John Byrne. Great story, but if you are a Superman fan of the Silver Age and the, the Bronze Age, you know that... M- uh, 78% of those stories were, were, were penciled by Kurt Swan. This is, I think, the last uh, full book that Kurt Swan did. He had done other things later on, uh, including the, he did some pages of The Marriage Issue in, in 1993. But not only is it beautifully Kurt Swan, it's inked by Jerry Ordway Keith. And it's, Ooh. I've always thought that Kurt Swan inked by Murphy Anderson was the best uh, teaming. But this single issue stands out as my single favorite. Superman book as as uh, as rendered, you know, artwork. I still, you know, the fans of the show know my favorite Superman comic book is Superman Annual Number 11, 1985 for the Man Who Has Everything by, um, you know, uh, Alan Moore and, and Dave Gibbons. But if you want to see, I want to read a good story by John Byrne, but I want to see spectacular Superman art, I, I recommend Superman the Earth Stealers. Oh, I've seen story. that, but never read it. I didn't know it was John Byrne. Oh. Keith, you got to read this story. It's it's um, it's it, it's a really good story. Yeah, and it. And it, it uh, I'm gonna grab I'll, it. Yeah. I'll, I'll give a little hint here. Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and Perry White all make it into outer space in this story. 
So <laughs> think about it. only John Byrne could, you know, right? It's got it's a it's a it's a basically a Silver Age Bronze Age story written in the modern age, you know. Gotcha. But okay. It's, it's a great great story. So that, I'm that, definitely gonna check that out. I've seen it. I've never picked it up. Oh, you'll love it. Um, so, folks, as we we bring this to a close, thank you for hanging in with us. Um, we hope that you enjoyed this. Uh, we have a backlog of many episodes. I think we have 125 posted right now with some more in the can. As I said earlier, we have a, an episode coming up that's kind of like a, a bookend to this one called Whatever Happened to the Man of Steel by Alan Moore and Kurt Swan and Kurt Schaffenberg and George Perez. Um, you'll love that. Uh, and you can find us on Facebook, our Facebook page and Instagram. And please leave your, your comments, your questions, your queries, your complaints, whatever. Uh, and, and like us on Facebook, you know, uh, uh, join us uh, wherever you can find us, uh, sign up, uh, become a subscriber. Um, we love you. We love doing this for you. And I love doing this. And I cannot do these, these, these combo corners without my friend Keith. Keith, you're fantastic. Your knowledge is, 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 is incredible. And I, I love doing these things with you. Uh, thank you, Joe. It's, it's really my pleasure. I, I love it. Thanks, Keith. Thank you. So thank you, folks. And um, uh, we'll be signing off now. Um, go out and find some good comic books to read. And like Keith said just a few seconds ago, uh, you can get these things on these different sites. But if you have an LCS in your neighborhood, in your town, visit your local comic shop and, 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 and help those people out, okay? They've had a rough time the last three years. So uh, you'll find they're, they're good people and uh, you'll find good stuff to read. Absolutely. So uh, have, have a good time, folks. Good night. Thank you.